If anyone wishes to be first, he shall be the last of all and the servant of all. Should we even want to be the first? Is this a legitimate and good aspiration? The Lord doesn't seem to disapprove it, but rather takes it for granted. He takes it as a natural human inclination. Is it reasonable to want to be the first? Sure, sometimes I think it's unreasonable, unrealistic, and can lead us to a lot of disappointment and frustration. You know, I live with a bunch of younger guys, and sometimes we go for a run together. And if I want to always, you know, be the first, the fastest, the fittest, that would be really unrealistic. So the first step towards humility, the first basic step towards humility is to accept our limitations, bodily limitations, cultural limitations, spiritual limitations, and so on. So as much as we need to accept our limitation, yet, yet it is true that we are, as human beings, amazing creatures. You know, when, when properly motivated, it's amazing how far we can push those limits, those limitations. In 2012, this Japanese lady, Tamae Watanabe, however you pronounce it, she became the oldest woman to summit Mount Everest. She was 73. And another example that came to my mind as I was preparing this, when I was 12, I lived here in the US with my family, actually close to this area. And then I met a 15-year-old young lady from Argentina that also came with her family, and she was deaf. She would communicate by reading lips in Spanish. She was very good at reading lips. But when she came to the US, they told her that she would have to go to a school for special needs because she was not going to be able to learn to read lips in English. That was a very difficult thing to do. So she needed some assistance. But to everyone's surprise, she claimed that she was going to learn. And sure enough, she did. She stubbornly applied herself to study English first and then learned how to read lips in English and was able to go to a public high school and graduated with honors. Her name is Maria Elena. Remember, we're all surprised of this amazing achievement. The point is that when we are properly motivated, we can achieve great things, even beyond what we would think. So we need to have ambitions. We need them. We need to be challenged and pushed for more. And often, ambition is the inner force that propels us from within, so to say. So I'm, I'm referring to ambition in the sense of a desire to excel, a desire to succeed in what we do and in who we are. So if you're a tennis player, you want to be the first, right? The top of the list. If you are a student, you want to have the best GPA possible. If you are competing for a job, you want to be chosen for that job. But today's message is about purifying our ambitions. It's not about suppressing them, but about pruning them so that they will grow 
stronger and healthier, and they will become better. So it's good to have ambitions. We need them, they make us grow, but we need to purify them, purify our motivations. Because human motivations are always mixed. We never have 100% pure motivations. We have many motivations for one thing, that, for everything that we do. For example, I was recently speaking with a grad student, and he was saying to me, I want to do something great. I'm very ambitious. I want to succeed and achieve many things. So I said, good for you. But why? Why do you want to be successful? And he was surprised. At, he thought it was a silly question, I guess. You know? He thought, why wouldn't I want to be successful? Of course. But then he paused for a moment and he began to think. And I also pressed a little bit more and asked him, is it about honor? recognition from your family or your peers? Do you want to be successful because you want to have prestige? It's about prestige. Is it about women being admired by them? Is it about pleasure? Is it about a combination maybe? A little bit of honor, a little bit of power, a little bit of pleasure, wealth. And he was very honest. He said, mm, if I think about it, I think part of my ambition is fueled by all those things. I have a little bit of all those things. And true, we all want, to some degree, recognition, power, pleasure. We all enjoy, honor those things. Even when we're doing something good for others, we also seek our well-being, right? We do something for others to help them, but we acknowledge that that will help me as well and I will feel better about it and about myself when I'm done. So if we want to uproot every self-centered motivation, we run the risk to somehow throwing the baby out with the bathwater. We will lose motivation altogether. So this is why the Lord accepts our desire to be the first. That's why he says, if you want to be the first, he doesn't rebuke that aspiration. Yet, there's an important move to be done as disciples of Jesus. Even when our motivations might be mixed, we, may, we need to make sure that the main motivation is pure, is good, is in place, the main one, the main one. We can tolerate and even be magnanimous with our self-centered motivations, but we need to claim the center for the proper motivation. If our main motivation is not pure, then wars and confrontations take place. We just heard it in the second reading. Where do the wars and where do the conflicts among you come from? Is it not from your passion that make war within your members? You covet but do not possess. You kill and envy, but you cannot obtain. If all that moves my ambition is egoistic, then confrontation is inevitable because there's only one job for all of us. And there's only, only one number one in the list. And there's so many ladies for, you know, and so on. So everyone becomes an enemy. It's about me. 
and my own success. But if our main motivation is pure, then other less pure motivation will kick in and only to boost the main one, so to say, will be purified by the main one. Like a river with many affluents somehow end up being part of that same river. But you need to have the, same, the main river first. So how do we purify our motivations? Last Sunday, we already heard about Jesus teaching his disciples about the cross and their reluctance to listen to this message. You know, the message of the cross seemed to destroy their unpurified motivations, their unpurified ambitions. In a sense, you know, they wanted to achieve this place of honor and their ambitions were too small. Jesus had something much more ambitious for them, much bigger. He was seeing the big picture of Christianity and them as apostles. They were wanting for, for, for something too small. On this occasion, the disciples' reaction is even more shocking, I think. They, they listen to him, but then they begin to speak behind his back. And they argue about who is the greatest among them. Their discussion about behind the scenes is totally disconnected from the solemn annunciation of the Lord, that he was going to be handed over, he was going to be killed, and so on. Yet, it's amazing, he patiently gathers them at the house and explains to them, if you want to be the first, that is okay, but you need to work on your motivation. He says, if you want to be the first, become the last and the least of all and the servant of all. Be the first to serve. Be the first to love. Be the first to put yourself behind everyone and make sure that everyone is moving forward. You can be the first in that list. Become the least. Become the last. So the Lord is saying it's about service and it's about loving others. You need to make sure that your main motivation is about service and about love. It's pretty much two, two sides of, a, of the same coin. If you're a mother or a father, it's about serving each other and serving your family, serving your children. If you are a CEO of a company, it's about serving your customers, your employees, your community, your country. If you're an athlete, it's about entertaining and inspiring others. If you're an actor, it's about edifying and touching people's hearts. If you're a bishop or a cardinal or even a pope, it's about taking care of the flock. I remember when we began with the St. John Society 20 years ago, I had to go to Rome and speak with all these you know, higher-ups in the church and, and somehow introduce our very small community and ask for their recognition, their approval. And in one particular meeting was very important, was a cardinal in charge of religious communities throughout the world. And he received me. I was a very young priest in his, in his very big office. At least it seemed very big to me at that time. And as I was walking to that place, I was thinking to myself, just to take courage, he is there to serve me. 
really, right? What is the point of having a cardinal in such a high place? To serve me, to serve all the priests of the world so that we can do our job. And I was thinking that I, you know, took courage to enter into this office, thinking, okay, do your job now. If you're a politician, so serving your community. If you're a bus driver, it's about serving the people you transport and making sure they arrive you know, in time and safely, and so on. Whatever you do, as long as it's good, it should be about others. If you're a drug dealer, it doesn't work. But if it's good, then it should be about others. Sure, it's also about you. It's not just about others, it's also about you. Because if you achieve your ambitions, you will probably receive some recognition and power and honor and pleasure in it. And that is okay, that is good. It pays for the effort and the pains that we undertake in the process. The Lord knows that. You can take it as a compensation. Without pleasure, there wouldn't be much sex. Yet, it's not about pleasure. Without honor or, and, and some wealth, there wouldn't be many politicians. Yet, it's not about honor or money. If you're a scholar, it's nice to write PhD, I guess, after your last name. But it's not about that vanity, right? So you want to make sure that compensations are somehow like a byproduct not the main thing. They come, but they shouldn't be the main motivation. So let's keep our ambitions. Christianity is not stoicism, and holiness is not ataraxy, like not having any desires or ambitions. We need to have motivations and ambitions. It's good. We need them to push our limits and to achieve things, but let's purify them. How? How do we purify them? I want to suggest three simple steps. The first one is to recognize. So you take a quick look at your main motivation. And the main motivation is the answer to a very simple question. Why? Why am I doing this? Mainly. Why am I studying? Why am I taking this job? Why am I doing what I am doing? And the first and more evident motivation will surface if you're honest with yourself. So recognize. Second step, rectify. You replace, if need be, the self-centered motivation with service, with love for others. You make an intentional inner move through which you reconquer the center for God and for others because we tend to lose it. It's a little slippery. The center of our heart is a little slippery, so to say. So we reconquer it for God and for others. We rectify. And the third step is we surrender. You surrender your ambitions to God, who knows your heart better and what you need and what you don't need and what others need. So if this ambition that you have is for you, then you say to the Lord, Lord, if it's for me, let it be done. But if it's not for me, teach me and show me how to serve otherwise. Let it be done your way. Recognize, 
rectify, surrender. This three-step process is to be renewed often. Rectify, recognize, rectify, surrender. So before an exam, recognize, rectify, surrender. Before a work interview, recognize, rectify, surrender. Before a business opportunity, recognize, rectify, surrender. Before a possible scholarship, before any challenge really, recognize the main motivation, rectify, surrender. Sometimes when you rectify, you will find out that you can't. That there's nothing instead, then you might as well drop it. If you cannot rectify it. So remember these three words. Wanna say it with me? Recognize, rectify, surrender. They will be very helpful. Recognize, rectify, surrender. It's a daily thing that we can do before our challenges. And as we do that, we become freer to really serve and love the Lord. But there's one extra step, and with this I finish, that you need to make. And you might be thinking, that's a lot of work. It's not so, it's not so difficult. Along this constant process of purification, if you want to be real about this and serious, you need to practice works of mercy. At least once in a while. Mingle with the poor. Feed the hungry. Visit the homeless, the imprisoned. Volunteer in a food pantry. Visit the sick. Teach the children. Serve behind the scenes at a retreat. Teach the youth. The more important you become in life, the more you need to go back to these simple services. This is why Jesus today embraces a child, someone with no importance, someone who can not pay you back by definition, and he puts them in the center. Doing this will keep you in touch with reality. It will help you not to forget why you are there in the first place, and it will help you to purify your heart as you serve the ones in need, the ones that cannot pay you back. It will help you to be authentic in the process of recognizing, rectifying, and surrendering.